Well, hey, good morning, Brookside. It's great to see you this morning. It's fun to hear about Go Teams. And, you know, we do this two-week uh, kind of a push this time of year because we do. We know that God can really change a life on a trip, and so it's exciting. Well, I wanted to just celebrate this with you before we jump in. On Wednesday night, we, uh, we really were able to pack this place out. We had a gathering in here, our worship night. It was called Immeasurably More. And um, I just wanted to celebrate this. I think God was really honored in this place, and it was just a lot of fun to be together. And, uh, you know, I don't get to say this very often, or often enough maybe, but I just left and I thought, you know, I just thank God for our tech crews and our musicians and our vocalists and just all the people that make things happen, Rob's leadership and all of that. And so in light of that, would you just help me, and let's just take an opportunity and show our appreciation to those guys. Yeah. We also, that night, there was 12 baptisms, which uh, is exciting, um, two adults and, uh, and then 10 students. And, and then this morning, a big chunk of people are upstairs in the hub right now. We've got a bunch more of our kids' ministry kids are getting uh, baptized this morning. And so just exciting what God is doing, and uh, we just we thank God for that. Um, I look all over the place, and I just go, God, uh, it's, it's just evident that you're at work, and we just want to say as your church, thank you for it, Lord. Thank you that you're showing up in the lives of people. You know, I heard a story just this past week of one of our elementary students understood the gospel for the very first time, and this morning, I mean, just responding to that, saying, I want to go public with my faith in Christ now. And so this morning upstairs, uh, that student's being baptized as well, going public, saying, I identify with Christ. And so what a joy. Um, well, this morning, we're going to get back into our series, as John mentioned, the, in the book of Acts. Uh, but before we go there, uh, would you pray with me? And let's just ask the Lord to really lead us this morning. So yeah, pray with me now. Heavenly Father, we thank you. Um, we thank you for what you're doing. We've been praying this prayer because we know that you deliver on prayers like this. We've been praying, God, would you do immeasurably more in our midst than we can ask or imagine? And so, Lord, that has been our prayer. And so, Father, we thank you. Um, we've seen even year to date now, 123 people say, I confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord of my life, and they've followed you in baptism. And, Father, thank you for that. We celebrate that. And Father, thank you for this church, Lord. Thank you for these people that they invest with their time and their talents, and they're helping create places where people are finding and following you, God. We are grateful for that. And Lord, this morning now, as we turn our attention to your word, Lord, we simply pray to you, and we just say, God, would you show up and would you do great things in our midst? Um, Lord, would you meet the person who's here this morning, and maybe they would say that they're searching Lord, would you meet the person here this morning that they would say, I'm in a joyful place in life. How about the person, Lord, that's challenged, the person that's really struggling? God, we petition you. Would you meet them here in this place? Church, this psalm came to my mind this week. In Psalm 51, I came across this. Let me pray this over us. It says, create in us a pure heart, O God. And God, then would you renew a steadfast spirit within us. And so, God, we just pray this morning that you would fire up our souls, Lord, that you would energize our souls, that our faith would grow this morning, that our picture, that our delight in Jesus Christ would grow in this place. And so we wait on you. We pray that we would hear from you this morning. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, if you have a Bible or an app, uh, turn with me now to Luke chapter 19. <clears throat> Excuse me. That's where we're going to be 
this morning, Luke chapter 19. We'll also put the verses up on the screens as well. And today what we're going to do is we're going to see a couple of different stories uh, in the life of the early church. Stories that I think really have a lot of application for us. Uh, Our text for this morning is going to do really what so many of the texts that have done as as we've walked through the book of Acts up to this point. They've made it very clear what is at the core of Christianity. I mean, really, what is at the core of a real, authentic follower of Jesus Christ? What does that look like? The book of Acts has led us to that answer time and time again, and we're going to see that this morning. You know, one of the things that's really fun as we've seen this book, kind of the, as we've, you know, seen the, the, the book of Acts unfold up to chapter 19, we've seen time and time again this exciting thing called the gospel's expansion. And the Apostle Paul simply used that word gospel to say, that's what I'm calling this good news about Jesus Christ. And so we've seen in the book of Acts that this message of Jesus, it is spreading. It's going from place to place right here to you and I worshiping today, right in this place. And so there's this theme verse, Acts chapter 1, uh, verse 8, really encapsulizes so much of the book. It says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. This is Jesus talking to his people, and he says, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth, saying it's gonna, the gospel is going to start in one place, and, and then as we trek through this book, we're going to see it grow and grow and continue to grow and continue to impact more and more people. Jesus said to the apostle Peter in Mark, or Matthew chapter 16, he said, you know what, the church is going to prevail. He said, on this rock, I'm going to build my church, and he said, the gates of Hades will not overcome it. In other words... The church, the bearers of the gospel of Jesus Christ, they will prevail. The message of Jesus will go out and it will continue to change lives. That's why for us as a church, we go, we want to live for the city. We want to be a part of what God is doing and continuing to do what he started in the book of Acts and continues to do today. So we have this promise that we cling to. But we also know this, as the gospel continues to expand and grow and impact more and more people There are also all the time different distractions that are coming the way of the church. And you know this personally. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you know what it means to really seek to live for him, but then to have different things that come into your life that are a distraction. You know what that's like. In the book of Acts chapter 19, for them it was explicit idols. That was the key distraction that sidelined them from experiencing God's best for their life. You know what a distraction does in your life. A distraction takes you from something that's important and worthwhile, and it leads you from that place, whether it takes your attention, or it takes your affections, or it takes your time, whatever it is, it sidetracks you from something that's worthwhile, from the best thing, it distracts you, it pulls you away from that. You ever been so distracted that no matter how hard you tried to focus, it became impossible? Ever had that happen? I encountered this this past week. I told you that about a month ago, we got a dog. We gave in to the, the pleas of our daughter to finally get her a puppy. And so we got this, this cute little dog. And, and I honestly, we really like this dog. We really do. We've never had a pet that we didn't return. So this is a, a big step for us. And, and so it's this German short hair pointer. She's a beautiful little dog. And, but this week, we had our first appointment at the veterinarian. First appointment. I was thinking, we haven't spent enough money on this dog. Let's, let's spend a little bit more, right? So we get into the room and the doctor comes in and, and she is, she's great. She's really fun to work with and we're getting to know each other. And, and the puppy is happy. The puppy, you know, she's wandering around the room and doing what dogs do and, and just, just happy. Tails wagging. But then I knew that we were in trouble because our dog has these moments. I don't know if all dogs do this or not, but 
because um, it's our first dog. But so she has this moment where her mouth, her, her, her mouth starts to flare out in the sides just a little bit. And for us, we know, and I knew, I was like, oh, it's a sign. She's about to go from cute puppy, don't be deceived, to Cujo the werewolf. No joke. <laughs> And so, sure enough, she does that. I see this, her mouth flare out a little bit. And she goes up to the doctor and she, she sniffs her pant leg a little bit. But then she locks her jaws like a vice grip full of razors on this woman's pant leg and just starts tearing away. And I'm thinking, not only are we paying for these shots, we're going to pay for this lady's pants, right? And so... You talk about distraction. We're trying to get through the rest of the appointment. She's teaching us about the dog and blah, 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 blah. The only thing that I heard her say, because I think she said it four or five times, is this. You guys should check out puppy training school. You really should. So we get into the truck, and I said, wow, Christina. I said, I feel like an embarrassed bad parent right now, right? And it's just a dog. Um, now, here's the thing. In the book of Acts chapter 19, on a much, much serious note, these people were distracted. These people in their culture had a very hard time focusing on what was most important. And as a result, they were missing out, not on something sequential, but on something that was big, something that was so important, the very things of God. And so today what we're going to talk about is this. In our culture, because we live in a culture that's very like theirs, how do I combat? I mean, how do you, how do I overcome the things that can dull? The things that can take away and diminish what's most important in my life. Put another way, how do I keep the core of the gospel at the core of my life? How do I keep what's most important? How do I keep the core of the gospel at the core of my life? You know, you could say this, that the core of Christianity is this. It is worshiping Jesus for who he is. This word comes to mind. It's delighting in him. Delighting in Jesus Christ. Uh, it's, it's the person that they, they trust in him. They want to know him. And the more that they know about him, the more that they want to know more. You know, sometimes people confuse the core of Christianity and, and they think that it means it's being good or it's following a set of rules or getting your morals all straightened out perfectly or hopefully getting a pass to heaven or tipping God with your finances. All of those things, those are a confusion from truly what is at the core of Christianity because what's at the core of Christianity for you and for me is this, and the book of Acts drives to it again and again and again, it's delighting in Jesus Christ. It's saying Jesus you are just better. I choose you because you're better. And so this is the stage for where we're going to be heading this morning. Acts chapter 19. You need to know a little bit about kind of some Wikipedia facts even about the city of Ephesus. Now, let me mention this though before we go there. It's important to know that as the gospel goes into Ephesus, it doesn't go through an apostle. Like so many times that we see throughout the book of Acts, oftentimes when the gospel goes to a new city, do you know who's leading the charge? An ordinary person, an ordinary man, an ordinary woman, a person that's maybe an educator or a business person, you name it. The gospel's expansion at the tip of the spear is ordinary people. That's just a side note. And I mention it because of this. You have influence. And the gospel has always gone through ordinary people people. And I, I think that's just so important to mention. So this is what's happening though in the city of Ephesus. Some things to know about it. It's an affluent city. 
It's in one of the most affluent regions in the Roman Empire. It's a port city. So all the trade that's coming through Asia is going through Ephesus. It was multi-ethnic. It was cosmopolitan. It was highly educated. It had the largest library. It had the largest amphitheater. Sports were important. It was a happening place. Also in Ephesus, though, there was the largest temple in the world in Ephesus. It was dedicated to the god Artemis. Now, she was known as the goddess of the city, Artemis. And she was the one that, that uh, she, they believed that she brought protection to the city, that, that she was the one that guaranteed their prosperity. Now, know this about the temple, though. We saw in Acts chapter 17, there was this place called the, uh, the Parthion where they kept all of the different idols. Now, when we get to Acts chapter 19, this temple to this god, Artemis, is four times larger. This is all that's left of it here today. Just that, just a pillar with the bird on top of it right now. But this is a mock-up of what it would have looked like. It was that big. I mean, this thing was huge. It was known as one of, it is known as one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. And in the center of this temple, try to imagine this, there was this statue of Artemis, which was carved out of a meteorite that they believed that had fallen from the sky. And so they have this God, they have this huge temple right in their city, and they believe that if your family is going to prosper, you put your faith in that goddess. They believe that if you want things to go well for you, if you want sex and money and power, if you want all those things, then you worship the one who, the statue of the gal that is in that building. So that's what they're, they're up against. And in their culture, you could say this, it was littered with distractions. They lived in a culture where the worship of idols, it was, it was all over the place. But you know what? Your culture, my culture, it's not too far from that. There are all sorts of things, right, that distract us. So let's look at this story. First, I want to show you, though, how the gospel is just expanding, expanding as we work through this text this morning. We're going to start in verse 8. Notice how rapidly the gospel is expanding. So verse 8 says this. It says, Paul entered the synagogue, and he spoke boldly there for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. But some of them became obstinate, and they refused to believe and publicly maligned the way. So Paul left them. And he took the disciples with them and had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannius. This went on for two years, watch this, so that all the Jews and the Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of God. Do you see what's happening here? This is a real deal church plant. Paul goes in and his desire is, I want to create a church and I want this church to grow and then I want to move on and I want to go to a new region so more and more people can experience this life-changing message of Jesus Christ that's changed me. That's what his heart was and it's working. God is working behind the scenes. In a matter of years, all of the Jews and Greeks had heard the message of Jesus Christ. So imagine it, the gospel's just spreading Think of different buildings that have a lot of people in Omaha. Imagine if the gospel you just heard on the news, boy, the gospel hit this building today. The gospel hit this neighborhood today. That's what's happening with the gospel. It's expanding. It's growing. Verse 11 says this. It says, God did extraordinary miracles through Paul so that even handkerchiefs and aprons had touched him were taken to the sick and their illnesses were cured and evil spirits left them. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine an apron or a handkerchief? I mean, great works of God. This is such a good reminder. Great works of God are all about God. Only God does that. 
Uh, only God works in that kind of way. Only God can work through a God-anointed handkerchief, right? I mean, think about that. I mean, imagine that happening. And then we come to verse 13. It says that some of the Jews went around driving out evil spirits, uh, tried to invoke the name of the Lord over those who were demon-possessed. So kind of an interesting side hobby they've got, some of these Jews going around driving out evil spirits. It says that they would say, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. I command you to come out. So think about this for a second. You've got a group of people that they've heard about all the ministry that Paul is doing, and they're like, I wish God's hand was on my life like that. So let's give it a shot. And so that, that's what they start doing. So they go up to a demon-possessed man, and, and they start saying, hey, in the name of Jesus, the one that Paul talks about, we see what he's doing. I want to be part of that. Come out. So notice this, verse 17 or 14 says this. The, the seven sons of Sceva, it says a Jewish uh, chief priest were doing this. So again, time out a little bit here. You've got kind of a strange family business, right? Let's go drive out demons. That's kind of our, our side business. And what they're saying is we command these demons to come out. We've seen Paul do it. And we just want to be a part of it. We want to jump on, on, on the bandwagon here. So verse 15, then it says this. One day an evil spirit answered them. Jesus I know, and Paul I know about. But what are these next words, church? But who are you? Now that's like the ultimate demon diss, right? I mean, that's not good. You, you can imagine those guys were like, Aw, oh, come on. Now, I don't know, like, if the demons had, like, a staff meeting or something, and they were like, Jesus is on the move. Paul, this man is just spreading the gospel like crazy. But then they're, they're like, but who are you? Like, really, who are you? And then the man who had the evil spirit, this is amazing, jumped on them and overpowered them all and gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. Wow. That's why you got to read your Bible every day. You never know what you're going to read. It is wildly entertaining and informative, right? Now, sometimes, isn't it true that you'll watch a big fight on TV, right? And there'll be a winner at the end that's acknowledged. But the next day or even that night, that winner will argue. Well, no, I won. I, I was treated unfairly. Now, here's the thing. If you come into a fight not bleeding and you have your clothes, but you leave not only bleeding, but without your pants, you lost, Right? I mean, imagine this. It's craziness. But notice what happens next. The gospel, the life-changing message of Jesus Christ, it's spreading and it's impacting life after life after life. Verse 17, it says, when this became known, when other people heard about it, when it became known to the Jews and Greeks living in, in Ephesus, they were seized with fear, and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. Many of those who believed now came, and they openly confessed what they had done. So the Spirit of God is moving. Jesus is working powerfully. Even people of other religious persuasions are going, I just saw that. I just heard about that. The person that I used to associate, now they know Jesus and they're different, and people are wondering. Not only that are people of other persuasion, religious persuasions interested, but then there's this whole group of believers, of followers of Christ now, that they're coming forward and they're responding, and they're saying, hey, we've had some very real distractions in our lives. We're very new Christians. 
But, and, and we've got to deal with these things. And so they're bringing these things forward. It's a massive spiritual awakening that's had, ha- happening among these people. So now go back with me to verse, actually we're going to go back to verse 18 a little bit later. But first, verse 23. Now let me just, let me just mention this. Because what we see in verse 23 is this. All of this God activity is happening. Great things are happening. The kingdom, the name of Jesus is spreading from place to place to place. But there's this guy. He's a local business owner. His name is Demetrius. And Demetrius, if we follow the story, he feels threatened because he has this business of making these little statues made of silver to the the goddess Artemis. And he sells them for a profit. Now imagine this. All these people are becoming Christians. And so all these people are becoming Christians. They're no longer buying these idols. And so this guy's very livelihood, he feels threatened. This is big business for him. So notice the heading in your Bible because things are about to get ugly. You know how when you feel threatened, sometimes you do things that are a little bit irrational? That's what happens here. It says the heading here for this section now is the riot in Ephesus. So verse 23 says this. It says, about that time there arose a great disturbance among the way. A silversmith named Demetrius, who had silver shrines to Artemis, brought in a lot of business for the craftsmen there. And he called them together along with the workers in related trades. Workers in related trades. I don't know what that is. If that's like the Artemis, you know, bumper stickers or t-shirts or what. It's all the people that are making money off of this goddess, this idol that they're worshiping in the city. So he brings them all together and he says, you know, my friends that we receive a good income from this business and you see and you hear this fellow Paul has convinced and he's led astray large numbers of people here in Ephesus and in practically the whole province of Asia. And he says, and this is kind of a coined phrase, Paul became known for saying this. He says, the gods made by human hands are no gods at all. No gods at all. So imagine this. You've got Demetrius there, and he's now, he's going to get angry, and he's going to kind of create this stir. And so it says this in verse 27. It says, there is danger not only that our trade will lose its good name, but also that the temple, he puts it on the temple now, it's not just about my money, but the temple of the great goddess Artemis will be, dis, will be discredited, and the goddess herself, who is worshipped throughout the province of Asia and the world, will be robbed of her divine majesty. So he, you know what I mean? He's creating this stir. He's creating this problem. So then it goes on. It says this. It says, when they heard this, they were furious. And they began shouting, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Soon the whole city was in an uproar and the people seized Gaius and Aristarchus, Paul's traveling companions from Macedonia. And all of them, they rushed into the theater together. Now, Again, you've got to get into the text and imagine what the picture is. They're running to the theater. There's, in a sense, this is like a flash mob. I mean, this is a big, big deal. And then it says this, Paul wanted to appear before the crowd. Paul's like, sounds like an opportunity with a lot of people that need to hear about Christ. They're distracted and they need to hear about the one who can truly help them, the only one that can truly help them. But the disciples would not let him. They were smart. They knew you'd be killed. You'd be killed in there. And so then it says, even some of the officials of the province, they, they send a message to him and they say, hey, begging him not to venture into the theater. And it says this, 
It says the assembly was in confusion. So again, picture all these people. Some were shouting one thing. Some were shouting another. Great is Artemis. Great is Artemis. And then some are like, who's Artemis? Great is, yeah, great is Artemis. Right, right. So most of the people said they did not even know why they were there. They were confused. Kind of the mob syndrome, right? It says, then the Jews in the crowds persuaded Alexander uh, to the front, and they shouted instructions to him, and he motioned for silence in order to make a defense before the people. But when he realized, but when they realized that he was a Jew, they shouted in unison, get this, for about two hours, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Now imagine that you're in a stadium and it's coming down to the last minute of the game, and the, t- the score is tied. And everyone in the crowd is shouting in unison the name of the team that they are cheering for. That's what's happening here. And they're screaming at the top of their lungs, Artemis. Ar- I mean, we don't know what it was exactly like, but just try to, try to imagine that. So verse 35, then, we see this city clerk comes in. And the city clerk must have been respected. Because the city clerk basically says this, unless you want Demetrius to be hauled away for creating this big old riot, you all need to stop. And so they they do. Now, I want to take you, though, to this. This is a picture of what this amphitheater looks like today. I had a chance to go to this in college. I got to sit like right over in this area. It's amazing. The acoustics in this place, phenomenal. Now, our tour guide said this. It's likely that the Apostle Paul, now remember, he wanted to go in there. There's a big crowd. This place holds 25,000 people. This is a prime opportunity. But his friends and even other leaders said, no, Paul, please don't go. So it's likely, this is kind of over here, it's kind of like the tunnel. Paul could have been right there. And I just imagine, what was it like for Paul? I mean, he's in the tunnel, or maybe he was just a block, who knows where he was. But let's say he was really close, because likely he he was. And so imagine, though, the heart of the Apostle Paul. He wants to get out there. I don't know if his friends were restraining him, but I can just see the Apostle Paul going, they need to know, let me in there. It doesn't matter. I've got just one life to live. There's 25,000 people in there. They need to know about the God who loves them. While all these people are shouting, great is Artemis, great is Artemis. You know, last week we looked at the Apostle Paul, what he said to the, to the Athens. And, and this is what he said in Acts chapter 17, verse 24. It says, the God who made the world and everything in it is Lord of heaven and earth. And, and this God does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. Paul wanted them to know there's nothing that will bring you life Church, this is so true for us today. There are so many things that we can chase, but there's nothing that will bring us life. There's nothing that will bring us life and breath. And Paul wanted them to know that. He, it was the desire of his heart. He longed for them to get that. And so this stadium, again, is full of people. And what are they doing, though? They're putting their hope. And some of them are like, who, who again? Who again is the goddess? I, I forgot. I, I haven't walked by the temple in a while. But others are all, they're passionate. They're into it. But they're distracted. And you know why they're distracted? Because that's what idols do. And it's not just true of their culture. It's true of our culture. 
We have things in our lives that are distractions. We have things that take us away from that core of Christianity of me, by your grace, God, I want to delight in you. I want to continue to figure out what that means. I want to trust you more. I want to find more satisfaction in you. I want to find less satisfaction in things around me and more in you because I know when I find more in you, the other things will go better f- f- for me as well. Things in life, will, they'll click. They'll make, they'll make more sense. And so here's what I think we need to do. We have to continue to discover who Jesus is. If you have idols in your life, and you do, I, I surely do. When we figure out who Jesus is and we continue to dig in and learn and see, okay, this is the picture of who Jesus is, the idols in our lives will continue to look more and more pathetic, more and more pathetic. So notice what they did, though. Notice what these believers did. Back to verse 18. It says that many of those who believed, they came and they openly confessed what they had done. And a number of them who practiced sorcery, they brought their scrolls. These are believers, new Christians. They brought them together and they burned them publicly. They said it was about seven million bucks in our day. But here's the thing. These people are not saying, I'm just going to keep my idol to myself and I'm not going to deal with it. No, the text says that they dealt with it, that they pressed in. Now, it's likely that none of you have a secret scroll at home that would get you in trouble or a side witchcraft business. At least I hope you don't. Tell the staff if you, you do. That'd be good to know, I guess. But, but think about this. An idol is anything that gets in the way of you experiencing the love and the goodness and the grace of God. And sometimes they're glaring, but other times they're subtle. Sometimes they're really out front, and, and, and they're ones that we hear about a lot. Even just this week, I, I saw this, this guy just kind of, he brought his idol to light. This guy, like so many men and women, dealing with pornography, but instead of hiding it, you know what he did? He's beginning to confess it. And you know what that's doing, though painful? It's restoring him. The restoration that he and his wife are experiencing now, it's truly only a God thing. But you know where it starts? It starts with taking off the mask. I love what happened in verse 18 because these people, they weren't pretending. They weren't playing church. They weren't, yes, I'm fine. They were, yeah, I got this scroll and I need to bring it forward. And I need you to burn it because it's a distraction from everything that I'm learning about the goodness and the greatness of who Jesus Christ is. I love it. They, they dealt with it. But know this. This is why they did it. Verse 17, so important. But when this became known to the Jews and the Greeks living in Ephesus, and when this, this is the spread of the gospel, they're seeing God do miraculous things. And as it becomes known, it says that they were seized with fear. But know this, and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. You know what the big why is behind it? They're declaring, why do you turn away from an idol? Here it is. Because you want to hold Jesus Christ in high honor. That is our ultimate goal as a church. That we would adore, that we would know Jesus for who he is, and that our picture of Jesus would be so attractive and so compelling that it would allow us to do things and to think about different things in our lives in different ways. And so they adored, they made, they honored the name of Jesus Christ, when you understand who Jesus is, it informs your worship and it leads you to that place 
You know, when you read through the Gospels, and I, mean, you just, and I would encourage you, if you're a searcher here this morning, a kind of a spiritual seeker, I would say to you, all of us really though, read the Gospels. Look at who Jesus is. Notice how Jesus is quick to forgive. Notice how Jesus is actually slow to condemn. Notice how Jesus is quick to extend grace, not because he wants to minimize sin. That doesn't help you. It doesn't help me. But because at the core of his being, he longs to not push you away, but to draw you to himself. And his death and his resurrection was the greatest example that the love of God could have had. And so I think it leads us to this question. What distracts you? What distracts you? And, and, and don't think about it that I need to deal with the idols in my life because God's going to slam me. God rarely, I think, will force himself upon you. But I think we look at the distractions in our life, whether they're subtle and they're small or whether they're big and they're glaring. I think we look at them because we want to delight in Jesus. We don't want to do it because, oh, I I fear I'm going to get cracked on. But no, I do it because my picture of Jesus is that good. It's that compelling. That's our motivator. This past week, I told Christine, I said, I think I've identified one of my idols, something that can just be a a distraction to me. And uh, I said, I think it's achievement. And I said, I don't think there's, you know, I tell all of you, I don't think there's anything wrong with being driven. I don't think there's anything wrong with trying to build things. I don't think that there's anything wrong with being passionate. But you know what? Those things, if they go unchecked, they can go bad. And this is what I meant when I was talking to her. I had just, it was on Monday, it's my day off, and I said, I've noticed that I feel better about my life even on a Monday when I have a to-do list in my back pocket that I've created and when it's getting done. Ever felt like that? And I told her, I said, I, f- I find sometimes that I can have more delight in accomplishing things personally and professionally, you name it, than I can in the one who gave me the ability to do anything. That's an idol, right? That's something that God's working on me to say, Jeff, your worth is not in what you do. Jeff, your worth is not in X, Y, and Z. Y- your worth is not in whatever distracts you. But to know, okay, my, dis- my, my idol, I need to call it out. I need to bring it forward. It's okay. I need to talk about it. Why? Because I want all of you to know it? No, it'd be easier. I'd rather hide. But here's the thing. The more I talk about it, the more I figure it out, the more that I see it, you know where it leads me? It leads me to be able to delight in Jesus more. It leads me to be able to see, okay, I, I can have a to-do list, but I can't have a to-do list have me. I can be driven, but I can't have things in my life that push me to places that aren't healthy, right? And know this, when you identify whatever distracts you, it's a good thing. I love they brought it out, but why did they bring it out? Because they wanted to honor, they wanted to make the name of God known. So what are your idols? What are the things that cause you to not experience God's best for you? Tim Keller, he puts it like this. He has four questions. I just want to read these really fast to you. These kind of help, he lists these as ways to help you think about what are maybe some idols in your life. So what is my greatest nightmare? What, uh, what do I worry about most? That might lead you to a place where you go, I put too much stock in that. 
I give too much worth to that. Well, what do I rely on or comfort myself with when things go badly or become difficult? That might be a, a key to an idol you have in your life. What makes me feel the most self-worth? And then number four, what do I really want or expect out of life? What are the things that distract me? Pascal said it this way so well. Said, said that there is a God-sized vacuum in the heart of every person which cannot be satisfy, f- satisfied by any created thing, but only by God the Creator who, made, who uh, the, made known through Jesus Christ. In other words, there are all sorts of things that can distract me, and it's like I've got this vacuum in my heart, but the only one that can bring me true satisfaction, it is Jesus Christ. And so church, I think today what we do is this. We imagine that we're in the amphitheater and instead of saying, Artemis, Artemis, the crowd goes nuts. I think you and I, we look at this and we go, we want to proclaim the goodness and the greatness of God. And now even as we worship, I would encourage you, Big or small, whether it's a, you know, whatever your idol can be. And some are flashy and some are others are not. And that's not the point. But what are the things that distract you? And now let's land before Jesus Christ. And let's say, Lord, not because we must, but because when we delight in you, that's the life that we want to live. That's the place where we'll really thrive. And you'll be honored. So, yeah, pray with me. Heavenly Father, we... we We pray this morning that we would be a group that is quick to worship you in such a strong way because we delight in you, because you are so incredibly good. And so, Father, this morning, we pray that you would help us to get a hold of the things in our lives that are distractions, big or small, flashy or not. God, we pray that we would take them before you and we would say, God, because You are so good. And because we want to delight in you, God, we'll confess them. We'll bring our scrolls to you now. And then we'll proclaim, we'll proclaim the name of our God who is worthy of our greatest delight. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.